I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been talking to you about the coronavirus. I've had many people try to instruct me about the virus, whether it's good or bad. I'm not here to take any political stand. I just want to be as safe as I can be for me and my family. That's all. I'm not going to side against anybody for what they do. I don't believe in that. I don't even believe in that in the Bible. If somebody's got their mind made up, you cannot change their mind. Now, I believe the man that has done more damage. Now, I want to talk about Billy Graham again. I've had several people associated with Grace and Truth Ministries saying, I'm tired of hearing about Billy Graham. I believe Billy Graham is the most dangerous man or false teacher. I believe he was a con man. And people say, how can you say that about somebody that was that handsome and that charming? Every con man is charming. They convince you and make you believe things that is not true. To be a con man means con comes from the word confidence. So you, they have to gain your confidence. That's what they have to do. They have to be charming. They have to talk smooth and make you believe things because it comes from a source. But they twist the source. That's what Billy Graham did. Billy Graham told lies about salvation. Now, I've had a fellow yesterday said, well, some people can just be, make mistakes. What he said is not a mistake. It's out and out falsehood. It is not true. His method of salvation is one of the worst things that's ever happened to America. He started preaching back in he supposedly got saved, which I don't believe in. I believe you're saved, but you don't get it. It's something God does to his elect family. He started preaching somewhere around 1936. In, 19, in the 40s is where he got a hold, about 1948. And ever since then, I say this because he has been more convincing than anybody. I believe he's more convincing than all of the charismatic movement put together. More than, more than Fred Price, Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Jesse Duplantis. All of those put together, they revered him as their more or less godfather. When he had his birthday here a few years ago, they all got on TBN from all over the world, all of them, congratulating him on his wonderful work. And they didn't even claim to believe what the Baptists believe. He didn't claim to believe what they believed, but he went along with them and he made friends with the world, made friends. I believe what he did is one of the most apostate things that's ever happened. He started when he was preaching, he started charming the world. Charming the world. He had to convince people. And when he started, I've got much documentation on him. I've got this Billy Graham and his friends. 
I've got this All Roads Lead to Rome. This is by Michael DeSimlin. And I've got the smoke screens. Everything he did was a smoke screen. Everybody has preached him into heaven. He was friends with everybody in the world. He said so. The Billy Graham and his friends, he would be interviewed by various people, by Robert Schuller. Uh, he would be talking about how that Robert Schuller was the best friends he ever had, and there's not a better representative of Christianity. Robert Schuller pastored the Crystal Cathedral in California. It eventually was turned over to receivers and became a Catholic church or a Catholic monastery. He had, Robert Schuller interviewed Billy Graham and it, the interview is in these books I've got them from the internet and he said do you like everyone do you like the Buddhists he said yes I'm very good friends with Buddhists he said how about the Hindus he said yes I love all of them he said he loved uh, even said he loved the atheist and loved all the homosexuals I want to know is he talking about agape or phileo he couldn't be talking about agape. He was talking about, I have an affection for all of them. Well, everybody liked him. The Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. All men. He was one of the most popular men in the world his entire life. He owned the polls. He was always one, two, three. He's in the top for about 50 years he never said daily cross death to self if he did he didn't tell them what it meant even if he slightly mentioned it his big doctrines the thing that has deceived all America is accept Christ and sinner's prayer for salvation sinner's prayer and then later on, I remember this in my life. I remember this. Where they said, let Jesus come into your heart. When you're dead in sin, you cannot let God do anything. When you're dead and you're a sinner, you cannot accept anything spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says so. You say, Jim, you said that so many times. Let me tell you something. This is not just, this is not just an error in doctrine. Accept Christ is an out and out lie. It does nothing but bear out predestination. There is none that seeketh after God. None seeketh God. No one in the world ever seeks the Lord. They're dead in sin. They cannot accept, accept Christ's decomai. Dekomai, dek is the word 10 in the Greek. I've said that a thousand times. I'm just introducing you back to the doctrine that he's used to deceive this whole nation and the whole world because he's told everybody, all you have to do is let Jesus come into your heart and accept Christ and you're home free. No new birth, no new creation. 
my wife said one night we I'd preached and we were headed home. She said, I have saw something tonight I've never seen. She said, you have to become somebody that the old you wouldn't recognize. That's exactly true. You have to become a new creation that God makes you by his will. And you have to want to change because he puts that desire in you. You can't put it in yourself. You have to want to change. You have to want to live righteously. That's why we don't need to be condemning each other for not being mature. I've had people gossip about me and give me a hard time. And nothing they would say is true. But I've never gone after them. I don't believe in that. Leave them alone. If they're sheep, they'll come home like Mary had a little lamb wagging their tails behind them. That's what you have to do. Leave the world alone. And if they belong to God, God will whip them and correct them. I said, it's not your job to get revenge on anybody. I don't believe in that. Revenge et dikesis et D-I-K-E-S-I-S comes from ek and dk. Dk is the word right. Ek is out. It means to write out or make things right. That's not our job. That's God's job. Why do we think we need to give each other a hard time? Now, Billy Graham has preached these. He preached the sinner's prayer. Let me really go deep into that and show you what that's about. Everybody gets this out of Romans 10, 13. But I'm going to go to Romans 10. I'm going to expand on this that I don't believe most people understand. Now, go to Romans 10. I'm going to read verse 13, then I'm going to go back in the chapter and read previous things in the chapter that leads up to Romans 10, 13. Now, go to Romans 10. This is why you cannot pray the sinner's prayer when you're dead. You will pray to God after you'll pray to God after he births you by his will, of his own will begat he us. We were born, speaking of the new birth, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Both those words, will, is the word thelema, T-H-E-L-E-M-A. And thelema means determination. Only God determines who will be his children. Since there's none that can seek after God. And nobody can accept him because they're dead. Accept. Accept is the word decomai. The word ten is dec. A decade is ten years. And decalogue. D-E-C-A-L-O-G-U-E. Is the word dec. And logos. Logos is the Greek word word, and dek is ten. It means the ten words of God. Dekomai means to reach out the ten fingers, accept an offer that's been given when you're dead in your sin, and you're worthless, there's nothing good in you. 
You cannot accept Christ. Billy Graham made that the common method of salvation throughout the United States and all over the world to everyone that was listening to him. And everybody was listening. That is the most damaging thing that's ever been done in last century and probably in the last 2,000 years to the church. Why do you say it's the most dangerous thing, Jim? Because that's the apostasy. I believe Billy Graham was a part of the great apostasy that the Bible... To be apostate, you cannot have... You have to fall away from the truth. Apostasy is our word apostasis. It's the word apostasy. It's the word falling away in second. Falling away in second Thessalonians two and three. The day of the Lord will not come except there come a falling away first. What Billy Graham did was, believe it or not, was the will of God. And it's God's will when men do evil and speak evil. God says, I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And to preach false doctrines is evil. I'm gonna, I have suggested everybody read this book, Billy Graham and His Friends. You can get this from Jack Chick Publications in Ontario, California. You can just dial, you can get, go online or you can, uh, dial information and they'll they'll give you the phone number in Ontario. It's called Billy Graham and His Friends. It's written by Dr. Kathy Burns and she's very, very, uh, very intricate in this. I'm going to read a couple other things and I think it's important that you know I don't have time to read all of it. I just go through it, pull some things out that's very important for you to know. Now, I want to read to you about where the Roman Catholic Church, which Billy Graham puts his approval on, I've got in this book called Smoke Screens, I've got several pictures of him with Roman Catholic priests, where he's, the Roman Catholic Church said he was more Roman Catholic than otherwise. And, I've, and he said he gave such credibility to the Roman Catholics the Roman Catholic Church is one of the most corrupt things in history. This is Billy Graham sitting with uh, Bishop Floyd. Bishop Floyd begins to chat with Billy Graham. He spent hours with these guys. They said he was more Roman Catholic than otherwise. I've got all kinds of stories on him. Here he is receiving... Billy Graham receives at the Roman Catholic Belmont College in North Carolina. He's receiving the yoke from Rome where they declared him a honorary doctor of theology of the Roman Catholic Church. What he did, what Billy Graham did, is unforgivable. He's not just kind of wandering off and meandering off. He has led the entire world away to these false doctrines. I'm going to deal with this. I want to show you something. Before I do, let me read a couple of these things about Billy Graham and what he has said in this book. I, the reason I read from this book is because most people won't read the book that come here. 
it's hundreds of pages, about 500, 600 pages, and most people won't take the time to do that. Now, let me see here. I had another paper. I'm going to read to you out of how in uh, page 419 about what... See, Billy Graham put his approval on the Roman Catholic Church. He said these were Christians, and they believe you have to eat the body of Jesus to go to heaven. In 419, they say that you have to toss out the Bible when there is a difference between the Pope and the Bible. All right, four, four, excuse me, 419. 419. Since the Roman Catholic Church does not accept the Bible as the inerrant word of God, and they don't, they accept the tradition of the Pope and of the Catholic Church. I guess it's no surprise that a question in the Jesuits' catechism asking, what if the Holy Scriptures command one thing and the Pope another contrary to it, has this had this answer? The Holy Scriptures must be thrown aside. Now let me go over here and read to you in 428. 428. One other pope that Graham praised was John the 23rd. When John the 23rd died, the June 2nd 1963 issue of the Michigan City News Dispatch, Graham quoted, was quoted as saying, I admire Pope John the 23rd tremendously. Pope John 23rd took his title from John the 23rd in the 1400s. John the 23rd in the 1400s was accused by 37 witnesses mostly bishops and priests, of fornication, adultery, incest, sodomy, simony, theft, and murder. It was proved by a legion of witnesses that he had seduced and violated 300 nuns. His own secretary, Neem, said that he had, that he had at Boulogne kept a harem where not less than 200 girls had been the victims of his lubricity. This man was very wicked and very evil. And I'm going to look over here. I'm going to give you a couple other things that he said. In page 119, this is something that Robert Schuller said to the Pope and about the Pope. Schuller who didn't believe in the, he believed people were going to come into the kingdom by just doing good deeds and you didn't even have to be a Christian to do that. Billy Graham says that Muhammad Ali's beliefs in Islam are something that we could believe. And Schuller also promotes and fellowships with other false cults beside Islam. For instance, Schuller has appeared as a main speaker for the United School of Christianity's New Age annual conference ridiculing evangelical Christianity at the Unification Church or the Moonies. 
functions with Sun Mayan Moon and interfaith prayer breakfast at the Mormon Tabernacle. He even dedicated a new unity temple in Warren, Michigan. This is talking about Robert Schuller. When the Pope went to Los Angeles, California in 1987, Schuller said, it's time for the Protestants to go to the shepherd Pope and say, what do we have to do to come home to the Catholic Church? The reason there were, the reason there were Protestants protesting against the Roman Catholic Church was because of indulgences and because of free will. When Luther left the Catholic Church, Luther was, he believed in predestination, and he protested indulgences. And most people don't even know what indulgences are. Indulgences was something that was organized by the Jesuits. That was an order of Roman Catholicism in order to supply money to build St. Peter's Basilica. Basilica means kingdom, and it was talking about the Pope's kingdom. Was Peter the first Pope? No. Indulgences where you could go to one of these priests on Monday and pay for a sin that you're going to plan on committing with some woman at a pub on Friday. And you could pay for it on Monday, and then you could go commit that sin, and it's paid for on Friday. And Luther said, I won't have that. So he organized. He left in this. He was one of the first super reformers and complained against the Catholic Church and protested against their free will, against their indulgences, and many other things, and said, we cannot have that in the church. And he left the church and helped to start this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and go to these verses in the Bible. I'll come back to some of those next week. People just don't realize how bad this Billy Graham was. He approved of Roman Catholicism. They say you have to eat the body of Christ to go to heaven. He said many things that are... He said we are Christ's mother. Or oh, he put his approval on men that said that. He put his approval on Norman Vincent Peale. Who, was, who didn't believe in the virgin birth. He said there was no man better to represent Christianity than Norman Vincent Peale. Had him on his platform several times. And I believe that's what has caused the Baptist Church, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, to wander around anywhere they want to wander in the Scripture and make something mean that it doesn't mean. I'm going to go to his... One of his and all the Baptist's favorite verses in Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For, for in that verse is a conjunction. And it connects. It's, it is not what you call a coordinating conjunction. It's a conjunction. 
subjective conjunction. It is subject to the verses before it. For means something has been said that goes with what you're going to say. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the Bible says in the next verse, How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You can't pray to God when you're a sinner, dead in your sin. Believe is the method of salvation. Believe. Now, what was it the Philippian jailer? Let's look at Acts, the 16th chapter. Acts 16. Over in Acts, the 16th chapter, there's a Philippian jailer. Paul is put in jail by some authorities because he is stopping some woman from following him and trying to charm him. And you can't charm a man that really knows the truth. So they said this woman and her and her pimps, you could call them that, uh, said he's making us lose money. So Paul was taken there in verse 12. Then all the multitude, nope, that, no, excuse me, that's, that's 15, 16. In chapter 16, and Paul is taken and put in prison. Let's start in verse 19. When her masters, this woman, saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city because we can't keep conning people out of their money and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates rent off their clothes, commanded to beat Paul and Silas. Now there's something real dangerous about this. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was from Tarsus, and when he was born, the monarch or the Caesar had already given all citizens of Tarsus Roman citizenship. It was against the law to beat a Roman citizen in the first century. And he was beaten by these men. That was against the law. In fact, you'll find at the end of this episode that they come to Paul in verse 37. Paul said unto them, well, they come to Paul in verse 36. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. And look what Paul says to them. Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly and condemned us, being Romans. You can't do that. I'm not leaving here. And boy, it scared these guards being Romans, and have cast us into prison. Now do you thrust us out privily, nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. We'll tell them what you did. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and it scared them. They were afraid because they beat a Roman. 
when they heard that they were Romans and they came and besought them and begged them, please don't prosecute us. Don't tell them that we beat you. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them, please go out of the city. We won't hurt you no more. We promise. We apologize. Now back to where they're beating them. Back to verse 23. When they had laid many stripes on Paul and Silas, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. When they charged somebody to keep somebody, what they had to do, if they didn't look after them, if they somehow escaped, you had to pay with your life or you had to serve their sentence. And this jailer is scared if they escape who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made fast made their feet fast in the stocks and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands or chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison, waking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he was terrified. He thought, they're going to kill me for losing these prisoners. So he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. And Paul saw him. He said, hey. But Paul cried with a loud voice and said, don't harm yourself. We're still here. We're not leaving. We're not going to let you get hurt. We're not that kind of people. Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved, Sozo? What must I do? The only reason he was asking them is because he evidently believed that they had the answer to this. And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He didn't say, Would you like to pray a sinner's prayer and mean it with all your heart? In Baptist churches, they'll say that when you walk down the aisle. They'll say, Say a sinner's prayer and mean it. You can't pray without meaning it. That's the whole thing. Prayer is the word prosuchomai. Pro-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. It's a construction of pros, meaning toward, and U-K, meaning to will or desire. It means to will or desire oneself towards the will of another. You cannot desire yourself to the will to the will of another or desire. You can't do that unless you mean it with all your heart. So when the Baptists say, say this prayer and mean it with all your heart, you can't bow to the God's will and not mean it. That's not even possible. They're saying dumb things when they get those people walking down those aisles in those churches. We don't give invitation hymns. Why? I can't convince anybody to be born again. I can't convince anybody to get their life right. I can tell you what the Bible says, and if God wants to cut into your heart, that'll be his business and not mine. 
Only he can convince you to do right and live right. Now, I want us to go one other place and show you that sinner's prayer is not true. Go to John 9, and then we'll go back to Romans 10 and 13. John 9. You say, why do you keep talking about this? I believe sinner's prayer and accept Christ is the most damaging thing to the Baptist church that was propagated by Billy Graham, and he propagated it to all the world. And I believe it's damaged people to walking down the aisle and praying a prayer and giving a false sense of security. I run into a guy at Kroger one night back years ago, and he was a distant cousin to Mary, and he owned a big company here in town. And he said, well, I got everything right the other night. I went down to the church and got saved and, and I accepted Christ. And now I got my company and I got my big house on the lake. And I got all my cars paid for and everything's paid for. And I don't have to pray for anything anymore. Well, he got that wrong, didn't he? I just thought, What? If I had the boldness I have today, I would have corrected him, said, you can't pray and exit. But I was in real estate then, and I was seeking money and things and stuff. That was about 35 years ago. Now, go back over here to John 9. There's a man here in John 9, and he is blind from birth. He's born blind in that verse 2. Jesus comes to him, and uh, he's, Jesus answered in verse 3. His disciples say, Master, did this man sin, or did his parents sin to cause him to be born blind? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said he was born blind for the will of God to be done here this day. He was born blind to show the sovereignty of God and predestination is true. Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him today. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of spittle and his anointed and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. That takes you back to Numbers twelve, fourteen. Numbers twelve. Let me give you this. Numbers twelve and verse fourteen. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, she should not be ashamed seven days. Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that, let her be received again. Now, let me explain this word spit in her face. The same intention acknowledging kinship and of bestowing it ceremonially through contact of the child with something belonging to the kinsman, it is seen in several rites where the child is rubbed with the saliva of the relative or spat upon. Actual 
actual examples of the connection with the giving of a name are found among the Mandingos and Bambaras of the West Africa, priests spitting thrice in the child's face. Among the Banyoro of Uganda, on the third or fourth day after the child is born, the priest presents it to the ancestral spirits and begs their favor, accompanying each special request by spitting on the child's body and pinching it. And it goes on and on and tells you what this is about. Spitting was a ceremony introduced into baptism in the early church. The candidate was required not only to renounce the devil in the word, but also by act of gesture. The catechumens or the doctrines was brought into the baptistry and placed with his child to the west and a form of words were used by which he renounced the devil he then stretched out his hands and spat as if the if the defiance of him thus was thrice repeated and then it goes into spittle all this all comes out of McClinic and Strong. You can go into Spittle in the McClinic and Strong. It'll tell you about this. This wasn't something that Jesus came up with. All of a sudden, it was something to show kinship. Now, let's get back to John 9. And after he spit in his foot, he spit, made clay out of it in the ground, and anointed the man's eyes of the blind man with clay that was showing he was kinship. He was a son. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by the interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore, and washed and came seeing. And the neighbors therefore, and they that had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not that he that sat and begged, and he was blind? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him, but he said, I am he. I'm the one that was blind. Therefore said they unto him, How are thine eyes opened? And he said, A man that was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool, the pool of Siloam, and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Because he was a son. He was a brother. Then said they unto him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. And they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. Now here is the most hypocritical people in the world, and they're saying you can't just go around doing this. And it was the Sabbath day. Oh me. The Pharisees said, You can't heal on the Sabbath. You're desecrating the Sabbath. When Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. They go to the man, say, how did you receive your sight? And he said unto them, he, this man over here, put clay upon my eyes and I washed in them and did see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, he's defiling the Sabbath because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How could a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. And they said unto the blind man, What do you say 
What sayest thou of this man, Jesus, that he has opened up thine eyes? And he said, the man said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him and had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who was born blind? They said, Yes. And they said, And they said to his parents, We know this is our son, that he was born blind. But by what means he is now seeth, we don't know that. Or who hath opened his eyes, we don't know. He's old enough. Ask him. He's a grown man. Go ask the, our son who healed him. And he spake for himself. And these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said the parents, he's of age, ask him, he's old enough. Then again they called that the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He healed on the Sabbath, he's a sinner. And the man answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. I know that one thing I know. Whereas I was blind, but now I see, I know that. Then said they unto him again, What did he to thee? And how he opened, how does he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? I've already told you it was Jesus that did this. Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled the man, said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. And they weren't. They lied. We know that God spake unto Moses. For as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And the man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, yet he hath opened my eyes. And verse 31 tells you there's not a sinner's prayer. They had called him a sinner previously in the chapter, said he's a sinner, he healed on the Sabbath. And the man says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, if he was a sinner, God wouldn't hear him. And if you're a sinner, when you're dead in sin, God doesn't hear you. This is not only goes along with Romans 8, uh, Romans 10, 13, and 14. This goes along with the fact that God doesn't listen to sinners. For we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God... Theo Sebase means reverence God, be devout towards God. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. The only way God hears any prayer is when a man is worshiping God and doing his will. Sinners that are dead in their sin cannot pray to a living God. 
Now let's go back to Romans 10. I'm explaining the sinner's prayer to you today more than I've explained it in years. Romans 10 and 13. 1013 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that's not talking about a dead man. That's talking about a man who's got Christ's word written in his heart. Now, we got to go back in the chapter to see what this is talking about. Everything in the Bible is written in context with everything else in the Bible. The word context is the English word, context. The Greek word would be syntax. Syntax means tax comes from the word taxis. Sin is the word soon in the Greek, or sug, or su, they're all the same. It means to blend together, blend. It would be a synonym for fellowship. So it means, taxis means orderly arrangement. Arrangement. This is talking about everything in the Bible has to be orderly arranged to synthesize together. It has to bend together and bond and blend. Now, so when we read Romans 10, and 13.4 refers to the previous verses. You can't just take a verse out that says for or therefore. You've got to read the verses before it. So let's do that. Romans 10. Let's back up and see why a man will call upon the name of the Lord. This is why. First of all, Christ has to be in that man's heart before he can call. Because Matthew, the 12th chapter, says, Of the abundance of the heart, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When you look up the word heart in any of these dictionaries I've got, they will, it will say understanding. The heart does not mean the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the right oracle and the left oracle. I learned that in the 10th grade in 1953. And it doesn't mean the bicuspid valve and the tricuspid valve. I've had heart attack and I've had triple bypass surgery and it doesn't mean what they did to my heart. It means the place of understanding. But there's none that understandeth. So if you understand anything, God has to put that in your heart and then you will speak. Then you will pray a prayer to God and ask God to forgive you. But you can't pray to God until he puts truth in your heart. And that's what the previous verses here say. Let's back up to ah, let's back up to verse four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. 
And people see that that English word end. They say, see, he did it. He ended everything on the cross. <laughs> That's not the word end. It's not our word end. It's the word telos. It is a form of telios. Which is the word perfect. Be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. It means mature. So Christ is the maturity of the law in our lives when he comes and lives in us. Because this chapter is going to tell us that he lives within us. When he births us by his will. We're not born again by our will. When you eliminate the Lord's Prayer, or the, the, the sinner's prayer for salvation, you eliminate, accept Christ, there's only one thing left. That's predestination. If God doesn't put faith in our hearts, nobody will come because there's none that seeketh after God. Have you noticed everything ties together with predestination, with no sinner's prayer and no accept Christ? No sinner's prayer, no accept Christ as your personal Savior. When you eliminate that, how is a man saved? How is he born again? By the will, by the determination of God, of his own will begat he us. That is... James one eighteen, James one eighteen. He begat us or birthed us by his will, and that's the word boule, b o u l e, and that would be a synonym for John one thirteen, thelema, thelema. In John 1, 13, we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Means determine. God determines who his children will be because you can't pray a prayer and you can't accept Christ and you can't let God come into your heart. Only God can bring to him those that he chooses before the foundation of the world. And it's not a matter whether you want to believe, you will want to. He'll put the want to in your heart. And Boulay means purpose of his own purpose begat he us. We were born by the thelema, by the determination of God. That's all that's left when you eliminate a sinner's prayer, accept Christ, and let Jesus come into your heart. That's not true. You can't let God do anything when you're dead in sin. And Billy Graham propagated this doctrine of the sinner's prayer all over the world. But what has to happen before you can pray a sinner's prayer? God has to put it in your heart. And it has to be in your heart because out of your heart will the mouth speak. And that's what this chapter says. Let's back up here. For Christ is the completion of the law. It means definite goal. For Moses describeth righteousness which is of the law. That man which doeth these things shall live in them. If you're going to live by the law, if you're going to do it, you've got to live in it. But righteousness which is of faith. So faith is in opposition to the rituals of the law. Let me put it up here. Righteousness which is of faith. Anytime the Bible says the law in the New Testament, 
that man is not justified by the works of the law, the law comes in the letter and the spirit. Letter and the spirit of the law. The letter killeth. The, the word letter in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, when the letter killeth, the spirit giveth life. The Holy Spirit is truth, the Bible tells us. That's taking off the cover, off with the cover. The word letter is the word grammar. We get our word grammar from that. Grammar. Grammar. We get our word grammar from grammar. And grammar is a form of the word graphe. It looks like graph, but it means something that is written. Written. So these rituals of the law that are written on tables of stone, they kill. You can't keep them. But the Spirit giveth us life. Now, let's get back to this right here. So it says, it's talking about opposites. It's talking about the law, which is of works, which is the rituals of the law, as opposed to righteousness, which is of faith. And faith is death to self. I'm not going to go into that, but that's death to self. That believes God and opposes self. So it's talking about two different things here. For Moses describeth righteousness which is of the law, that man which doeth those things should live in them. And man can't live by the rituals of the law. But righteousness which is of faith speaketh. Look at that word. Righteousness talks, speaketh. And we're talking about, you've got to look ahead and look at Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13 is what the speaking is about. Righteousness talks. Speaketh on this wise. 10.13 says, Whosoever calls, that's speaking, calls upon the name of the Lord. That's speaking the righteousness of faith. That's the whole subject here. And you can't do that unless it's in your heart. And it's written in our hearts by the living God. Now, let's keep reading. Righteousness speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Now, this is quoted out of Deuteronomy 30. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? He's saying Christ is not in the sense that men want to know. You don't have to bring him back from heaven to know he's here. You don't have to go into the grave and pull him out of the grave and resurrect him again. He's in your heart. 
That's what the Bible says. It's been written in your heart. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30. And you can hear this. you got to compare Scripture with Scripture. You can't just read that chapter. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just pray this prayer and you're home free. No, it's got to be written in your heart. I don't think I've ever gone through this much on the so-called sinner's prayer. Here in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. For this commandment, verse 11, which I command thee this day, is it not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It's hidden from you, but it's far off, Israel. It, it is not in heaven, like, like the Bible says over there, who shall ascend into heaven to bring Christ down? It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up to us to heaven and bring Christ down unto us? that we may hear it and do it, neither is it beyond the sea. He says something similar to that in Romans 10, where he says righteousness, which is of faith, that you don't have to descend into the deep, or you don't have to go to heaven to bring Christ back, because he's in your heart, and that's what's going to make you call upon the name of the Lord. You can't do that until God has put it in your heart. Nobody who's dead in their sin wants God in their life. That's what the Bible says. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30. Who shall go beyond the sin, verse 13, for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? The word is very nigh to thee in thy mouth. How can it be in your mouth? Well, Matthew 12 I'll read it to you real quick. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. I'll get it. My Bible's all wrinkled up. Matthew 12. And verse... Verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You find these same words in Luke 6, 45. It has to be in your heart before you can speak to God. How does it get in your heart? God puts it there. I'm talking about what people call the sinner's prayer. You've got to go to the verses before. Then he says, in verse chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, verse 14, The word is very nigh thee in thy mouth, because God put it in your heart. And in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set thee before thee this day, life and good, death and and evil, and that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, that would be translated agape, walk in his commandments, to walk in his ways. It says it right here. Love is agape in the New Testament. That means to walk in the commandments of God. Second John 6, this is agape, that we walk after his commandments. And to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. And if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, 
but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to possess it. The reason he said that, Deuteronomy, is right before they're going to go over to Jordan. They've come out of the world, out of they've come out of Egypt in the Exodus, the the 13th and 14th chapters of Exodus, and they're going across the Red, the Red Sea in that 14th chapter, and Moses uh, stands there and raises his hands and the the winds blow and and open up the Red Sea and Pharaoh was destroyed in that. And then he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. He's talking only to believers because all everybody from 20 years old and upward by the time you get to Deuteronomy has been slain in the wilderness by God. So he's not saying choose to accept Christ as your Savior. He said, Bakar, select life. He's saying the same thing that I tell believers. Uh, excuse me, not Babar. B-A-C-H-A-R. I tell you, your believers select to live righteously and live godly in life and don't choose to go out there and fall into sin like you can and like you've probably done in the past not probably done older people have done that then he says choose life that both thou and thy seed may live he's talking to believers in Deuteronomy because he's killed off and I'm going to get back to that next Wednesday I'm going to go into how God killed off everybody, from all the males from 20 years old and upward because they murmured against God in the wilderness. And when you get to Deuteronomy, they're just about to cross the Jordan River and go in and possess the land that they haven't lived in in about 600 years. That was given to Abraham. Now, let's go back over here to Romans 10. So he says, who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? What is it talking about, what saith it? You look back at verse 5. Righteousness which is of the law. Excuse me, back to verse 6. Righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Righteousness speaks and then it says down here righteousness speaks when it says what saith it it's answering that verse up there in verse 6 what saith righteousness what does righteousness say Remember the word righteous is the word dikaio, D-I-K-A-I-O-S-U-N-E. It's a form of D-I-K-A-I-O-O, which is the word justify. And we get the word justify or dikaio, 
and dikaya usune from the word dike, d-i-k-e, that's the stem of both words, d-i-k-e, is the word right. Right, how does right talk? What does right say? It says the right things, it says truth. Doesn't it? And then he says, righteousness, and of course righteousness, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. You have to hunger after righteousness. How are you going to hunger for anything? Your belly has to be empty, doesn't it? Or you're not hungry. God has to empty us out of ourselves. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor. P-T-O-C-H-O-S. It means to be empty of self. And no one will seek righteousness when they're dead in sin. Righteousness is something you do. It speaks... It speaks, what does righteousness say? It speaks what most people call the sinner's prayer. It's what it speaks. But it has to be righteous to speak it. And it has to be in the heart to speak it. It can't just come up and start talking out of the clear blue sky. Righteousness... What says, what saith it, verse 8? What does righteousness say? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. You don't have to go up to heaven and get Jesus down. You don't have to raise him out of the grave. If you're a believer, he's in your heart. How did it get in your heart? Well, it's real simple. 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, here's how righteousness got in your heart. You didn't conjure it up because you don't seek God and there's nothing there. If you're a believer, here's how belief got in your heart. It's real simple. Just read this word here. 2 Corinthians 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? We don't commend ourselves. We don't give ourselves authority. No need or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation or letters of commendation from you. We don't need to commend ourselves or anybody else. Our hearts will commend us because it will come out of our mouth. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. We're epistles of Christ. We're living epistles. The epistles were was Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Those were the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches. But they don't need an epistle from us. It's written in our hearts. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And that's what the word of faith says over in Romans 10. It comes out of our mouth because it's in our heart. So it's written in our heart. 
not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. And he says in verse 6, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, not of the rituals, but of the Spirit. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now, back, let me give you a couple of more of these. Romans ten thirteen is about the Word of God being written in our heart by God. Only thing you can say is what's written in your heart that God put there. He put it there. Look over here in Hebrews 8. He put it in our hearts. We didn't put it there, not by our will. If you notice, correcting Billy Graham on this sinner's prayer and all the Baptist preachers and all the people in America has to do with predestination. If God doesn't put faith in a man's heart, nobody's coming. Because there's nothing good in man. Look here in Hebrews 8. Hebrews, the 8th chapter, in verse 10. This is the covenant will I make with the house of Israel. This is talking about spiritual Israel, the church. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. That's directly correct, connected to Romans, the 10th chapter, talking about the so-called sinner's prayer for salvation. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Look in Romans, uh, look in Hebrews 10 and verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and their mouth will speak out the laws of God that's in their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. Then go back over to Romans Romans 8, and then we'll get back to Romans 10. Romans 8. Oh, where was I going? Was it Romans 8? No. Huh? Romans 5, excuse me. Romans 5. This goes along with God writing it in our hearts. And he says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified, rendered innocent. It doesn't mean to save. It means the works that are in us, that our mouth speaks out, and people crucify us for it, and we suffer for it. That's what justifies us or renders our innocence. It's like a declaration of a court after all of the Evidence has been presented. The judge says, this man is innocent. And that's what righteousness is. And he says here, we're justified by faith with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith unto this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, philipsis, same basic word as narrow is the way. It's the word thalibo. Thalibo is the verb. Thalipsis is the noun. And knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, experience is the word dokime. We get the word, it means to go through tests and trials. 
and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the agape, the love of God, is shed abroad in our hearts, shed abroad by the Holy Ghost, by the truth. So, if love is shed abroad, shed abroad is the word E-K, excuse me, E-C-H-E-O, E-C-H-E-O, E-K-O. It's the same word over in Acts 2, where the Lord poured out of His Spirit on all flesh. It means to gush out. God has shed abroad agape in our hearts and agape is walking in the commandments of God and that's the same thing as God writing in fleshy tables of our hearts now let's go back over here in order to teach what this verse is about the so-called sinner's prayer which Billy Graham propagated to all the world said all you have to do is walk down the aisle and pray this prayer and all the Baptists got a hold of it, and they think that they got some guy down at the altar, say, Dear Lord, dear Lord, save me for Jesus' sake, save me for Jesus' sake, amen. You're saved. Reminds me of, I was watching Pat Robertson, I believe it was one night, just idiot at, char, at large, and he had this guy, this young man was standing on the corner, he was some interviewer, standing on the corner out in California in Hollywood at, at on Vine Street or Hollywood Boulevard. And the guy was standing there talking to somebody on the curb and this hot rod come up, running and gunning it, and he looked over and said, do y'all believe in Jesus? And they said, yeah. He said, they're saved. What an idiot. <laughs> yeah we believe in him yeah we believe he lived believing that he lived is not enough we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him now let's get back. how much time to have Mike 19. I'm trying to get through this chapter this chapter is very interesting then he says What does faith say? What does righteousness say? The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and even in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now the charismatics come up and say, the word of faith said you get it. Word of faith is talking about what's been written in our hearts. It's not Cadillac, Cadillac, come on, I get a Cadillac. And that's what that nimble brain Bob Tilton, this is one of his favorite verses. Uh, a word of faith. You say it and you get it. You're a dumbbell. Just a stupid, stupid man. Do I believe he's a believer? No, I don't believe that at all. He was so embarrassing as a charismatic, even TBN wouldn't let him on TV up there. <laughs> Just a dummy. The word of faith, which we preach... That, 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 that. Here's the word of faith. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, because it's written in your heart, and of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, it has to be in the heart to come out of your mouth. Confess. Homologeo. 
I've never gone through the sinner's prayer like this. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, and it can only confess because it's written in your heart, and you didn't write it in your heart, God wrote it there, and it cannot be erased. You can't get unsaved. It can't be erased. It's there forever. The blood baptism is permanent. That's death to self. So, confess, homologao. Homologao comes from homo or homu and logos. Or logos, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care how you pronounce those O's. You got the the long O here, O, and you got the short O here, ah. It's his O and that's ah. I don't care how they're pronounced. Homo and logos. Homo or homo means of the same. Homosexual is of the same sex. That's why they call them homosexuals. Of the same sex. And hetero means other. Hetero, heteroglossa is the word other tongues in the second chapter of Acts. Other foreign languages. Those are Greek words. They're not Homo doesn't mean has to do with sexual. It can be had to do with anything that's of the same. So it means of the same word. So homologeo means to agree with. If thou shalt agree with who? With your mouth. With your own desires to go to heaven? Or with your own desires to have a new car? No. The thing about homologeo that's really interesting in Titus 1.16, the Bible says some men profess that they know God. They profess. I don't know why the translators put profess rather than confess because profess is the same word homologeo. They profess that they know God, but in works, they deny God. So confessing isn't just something you say with your mouth. It's something you do. And righteousness speaketh on this wise. And righteousness is something you do. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. But when you do righteousness, you tell people the truth. You speak. So we're talking about the sinner's prayer and it's not for salvation. Then he says, so everything in here is about the so-called sinner's prayer, but it's not for salvation. It's something you will pray to God after God puts it in your heart. And if you, if you never, ever want to sincerely bow to the will of God and agree with him, you're not a believer. Do you know confess and prayer 
have basically the same meaning, confesses agreeing with God. Well, what is prayer? Prosukamai. Prosukamai comes from pros, meaning toward, toward. This is the word prayer. And UK meaning to will. U-K-U-C-H-E. I can't even write, turn around like that. E-U-C-H-E. Which means to will or desire. And Jesus said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He said, when we pray, we're to pray, thy will be done. Well, homologeo means to agree with God. So, if thou shalt agree with God with your mouth and do it and tell people the truth you can't have the truth in your heart and never want to talk about it a person that's a builder he wants to talk about building all the time if you're a truck driver you're going to talk about driving trucks and going up some grade on some mountain somewhere there's a mountain over here towards Knoxville and it's a long grade and if you don't know how to downshift in a truck you can't get up it, can you? You can't you gotta know how to how to downshift and work your way in those gears. You can't anybody can't just get in a truck and start driving it and you take off up a grade like that, you're gonna end up over in the ditch. You gotta know what you're doing. That's the same thing. Know what you're doing. So let's read the rest of this. For with the heart man believeth in the righteous, with the mouth confession, agreeing with God is made unto salvation. But it's something you do. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed, for there's no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call. If you call, it has to be in your heart. It has to be agreeing with God. It has to be confessing what God put in your heart, and he put it there. But you can't do that till after you're a believer. That's what the Bible says in the next verse. For... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You can't call till God puts it in your heart. Can you? That's, you know what this is like? Falling off a log. It's that simple. But you can look at the old chapter. You can't just say, Whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you like to be saved? Well, pray this prayer and repeat after me. So much of who, and that's what Billy Graham preached. He would have those people gather back behind the stage and have the anxious seat or get back there and say, Would you like to be, get saved tonight? Uh, do you know you're a sinner? Or would you like to say, Lord, save me for Jesus' sake? All that does, any number of people go back there and do that. And when they do that, Billy Graham had, he would have. Many people, if they came 
and they fill out cards and they show their Roman Catholic, he would turn all those Roman Catholic cards over to the local diocese and have some local priests visit them and get them busy in the Catholic Church again. He'd do the same thing with the Pentecostals, the same thing with the Baptists, and they wouldn't learn anything. And then he says, How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? You have to hear the word of God in order to believe. And Billy Graham agreed with Robert Schuler, they don't ever have to hear the name of Jesus to be a Christian and to be in a church. Not true. And how shall they hear without a preacher preach to them. We've had people come here and say, we're going to leave the church and start our own church and we'll be our own preacher. You know how long that lasts? About a couple of weeks and that's it. They all go off in the distance. I've been teaching, this is our 32nd year, going into our 32nd year with Grace and Truth Ministries and I don't want to quit. I want to keep teaching till I'm 90 years old. That's just eight and a half years away. If I can teach to 95, I'll set up on a stool up here, and I won't move, and I'll teach. I've got a million things to say to you. I've spent 64 years in studying. Have you noticed that all these chapters are blend together? You can't just pull a verse out and say, this means this. You can't say that, but people do that. Do I have any time, Mike? Eight. Eight minutes. I was going to get into, I don't believe in the sinner's prayer for salvation. I believe men will call upon God, will call upon God because Christ is in their heart. I believe that's the only way you'll pray. You'll have conviction in your heart about your sin. Nobody has to tell you that. God has written these words in your heart just like they were written in stone in the Old Testament. Let me read that other verse. And how shall they preach except they be sent? I've had so many young guys come in here. So I think God's called me to preach. I had one guy came in one time, stood outside on the sidewalk after church, and he lit up a cigarette puffing away and sat standing there looking like a punk he was about 23 years old he said I think God wants me to preach what do you think I said no I don't believe so <laughs> and that's the last time I saw him I he looked like a thug it's funny <laughs> what are you going to preach about lucky strike or or camels or what I don't even know the name of the cigarettes today and how shall they preach except they be sent God has to put it in your heart how did I know that God wanted me to preach my father was one of them old country Baptist preachers and he used to say I want one of my sons to preach but he wanted me to get up there and sing and shout and carry on and say, God loves you. He wants you to accept Christ today. Like he did. And I couldn't picture me doing that. So I started studying the Bible when I was uh, 
1956. I didn't know God wanted me to preach. But the more I learned, I kept talking to people, kept sharing with them. And one day I said, well, this is preaching, isn't it? When you learn, God has to give you a hunger in your heart. And when you learn so much, if you have to go out and talk to people on the streets, you want to share what you know with people. And all I want to do is share this with people. Preach is the word in the Greek, caruso. K-E-R-U-S-S-O. There was an opera singer in the early 1900s, very famous. His name was Enrico. Evidently, it comes from the same word, Enrico Caruso. C-A-R-U-S-S-O. Probably comes from this same word. This word means to herald Christ. That's what preaching means. Just go want to tell people about Jesus. So I started a, a class in my house back 32 years ago and said, I'm going to tell the truth to everybody all the time. And here I am. And now we're on TV all over the country in about 30, about 370 or 75 towns and cities. I'm on the Internet all over the world. I get response from everywhere. And this is the most content I've ever been in my life. I, it's more content than ever thought it could have been singing. All you're looking for is more glory when you're singing. And how shall they, and as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, but they, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. The Bible here says the gospel which is preached from our mouth which is the baptism, which is the narrow way, has to be preached. And the preaching is righteousness speaking on this wise. If thou shalt confess of thy mouth. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. But you can't call until you believe. For Isaiah saith the Lord, who hath believed our report, what we're preaching. Then, so then faith cometh by hearing. And righteous speaks, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that's what comes out of our mouths when we confess Christ and we agree with him. All this goes together. These are not separate words. You don't just yank out one verse and say, here's a nice verse, and here's a nice verse over here. They agree together. I, I'm sorry, I apologize for not telling you more about whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's all about what God wrote in our hearts. You don't have to go into heaven and pull Christ down. You don't have to go into the grave and pull him up. He's here. The Bible says the kingdom of God is in you. Wherever the king was, they said the kingdom was consummate. The Jews did. Christ is in us. That's the word of God written in our hearts. How do you know you have Jesus in you? How do you know you're a believer? You want to tell people about these truths. It's that simple. Don't you want to talk to them? And you're going to be rejected, but it's not up to you to convince people of anything. The longer I live, the more I realize 
it's not up to me to get people to believe anything. If somebody wants to disagree with me, I'll say, well, that's your opinion. You're not paying attention, are you? I'll give people verses out of the Bible. I had a fellow tell me yesterday, well, we can agree to disagree. I said, well, I'm not going to agree with you. I'm not even going to agree to disagree because that's compromise. I'm going to tell people the truth. I said, I'll tell you the truth, but I won't do anything else. Tell you the truth. And let me read the rest of this. Do I have any time? 90 seconds. What? 90 seconds. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went out through all the earth, and their words into the end of the earth. And it's talking about those of us that have Christ written in our hearts, and we speak. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. And Isaiah, or Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. That's the Gentiles. And he's talking to a Gentile church. He said that in the 65th chapter of Isaiah, the first couple of verses. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. That's the Gentiles coming to God. But to Israel he saith, All day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient people. That's you. And that takes you right into Christmas. I open up to you, Israel, and you went after Baal in the grove, the fire and tree worship that Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Notice how all these words just go, and they go click, 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 click. Well, I'll, and he says, I open my hands to a disobedient and gainsaying people. That word gainsaying means to speak against me. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I love you guys. I love this truth. And that's, that's the first time I've really gone that deep into the sinner's prayer, so-called. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, I don't know even what to ask you anymore. I just pray that you'll give me strength to continue this work. Give us all strength to grow and become mature in the Lord. Lord, help us to help me to be strong. I'm old. My body's getting weak. If it's according to your mercy, give me strength to continue for years to come. fight our battles for us. I'm never going to fight any men again. I just don't believe in that. Thank you for truth. I'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I hope we can understand what that prayer is about. It's not a sinner's prayer for salvation.